0: Good morning, Restoration. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Diane La Luzerne, and I am going to be reading some scripture for you this morning. Um, I'll be reading from Exodus 5, verses 1 through 21 in the NIV version. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, "'This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. "'Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness.'" Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave divers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw." but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to the lies. Then the slave drivers and overseers went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says. I will, give you, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. The slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, Complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. And Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers, They had appointed, demanding, Why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite overseers went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, Make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, Lazy. That's what you are. Lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite overseers realized they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us.
1: Thank you, Deanne, and good morning, and I'm so glad that you're with us today. We've been talking about worship and what it means to worship and where we worship and how we worship, and today we talk about uh, the idea of worshiping in our work. Now, I participated in a leadership training seminar two weeks ago, and one of the presenters, Juliet Funt, she's the CEO of Whitespace at Work, said as she was reflecting on the past few months, the two most experienced emotions during this pandemic are exhaustion and denial. And it's no wonder, she said, we've been running the duration of a marathon at the intensity of a sprint. I want you to think about that. The duration of a marathon at the intensity of a sprint. Now, as a runner, it was a super clear, helpful phrase for me to sum up how I've been feeling lately. Now, she goes on to say how in our homes, they become these all-encompassing locations for everything. Think about it. It's where we eat. It's where we sleep. It's where we shop. It's where we school. It's where we work. It's where we relax. It's everything for us, and it all blends together whether you live alone or whether your home is filled with people. It can be difficult to overcome the mixture of emotions. A lot of people say they experience isolation or suffocation or just separation or a lack of separation. What was interesting is I did a little research on Juliet Funt, and in 2016, in June of 2016, actually, she said that innovation and creativity are withering away before the false god of busyness. Okay, that's kind of a mouthful, but think about it. Our innovation and our creativity, our greatest thinking, is withering away in this because of the false god of busyness. And Our families are struggling to connect because our grown-ups are multitasking at the dinner table because they're tied to their office by these invisible strings and they can't converse with their family and so their kids go off and leave the table and they're lonely and so what do they do? They find a warm screen of their own. It's a troubling portrait that she calls the culture of insatiability where nothing we do is ever enough. And this driving, insatiable culture has turned the average workday into a sprint of reactive busyness. Now, that may not be your life right now, but I want you to think about now that we're nearly six months into pandemic living and there's reactive busyness and there's exhaustion and there's denial. And now, how do we worship? And how do we work? See, that's what we're talking about this morning. And incidentally, as Deanne read uh, Exodus 5, two of the major emotions in that story are, you guessed it, exhaustion and denial. Now, just open, if you've got a Bible, open to Exodus 5 because Exodus 5 is in this larger narrative of God's rescue of his people based on the promises to Abraham and Sarah, these people that God chose who were past their prime, who were worshiping other gods, who really had no reason for God to pick them other than he saw something in them. He saw a faith and a trust, and he called to them, and they went. And so based on just that idea of faith, that idea of trust, God promises Abraham and Sarah that he will bless them so that they will bless the whole world. Now, they got stuck along the way, but one of their descendants, Joseph, ended up going to Egypt and actually not just saving his people, but saving the whole world. And so all of God's people ended up going into Egypt, and they prospered there, and they were protected because Egypt was the greatest, the most powerful nation at that time. They were literally guests in this kingdom. But a time came when a pharaoh or a king did not know Joseph, did not know what he'd done. And so the guests went to foreigners and the foreigners went to servants and the servants became slaves. And they became oppressed and God said, it's time to go. And he chose Moses to tell the leader of, God's, of those people, Pharaoh, to let my people go so that they may go and worship me. And Pharaoh refuses. And he doesn't just Refuse. He actually raises himself above not just disagreeing with Moses and his brother Aaron, but actually defying God. You hear it in the language of verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let him go. Now, Pharaoh not only refuses to allow the people to stop their work, but he also makes the work harder. In Exodus chapters 4, or in verses 4 and 5, the king of Egypt says, and you heard it in Diane's words, they, they repeat through the narrative. This is what the Lord says. Well, this is what Pharaoh says. I'm going to not just tell you, ask you why you're taking the people from their labor. I'm going to tell you to get back to work. And then look, the people are numerous, and you're stopping them from working. Again, over and over, these words work are coming up over and And over, and he gives gives the order to the slave drivers to not to not give them straw to make the work harder for them to not reduce their quota. Maybe some of you in this time of pandemic are like, "Yep, that's my life right now." It might not be straw and bricks, but they are taking away things, they are making the work harder, and they're expecting the same productivity out of me when my kids weren't sitting next to me in my office. Anyway, but he says at the end in verse nine, make the work harder so for the people so that they will keep working and pay no attention to lies see this is the confrontational question not just throughout the plagues not just throughout this conversation with Pharaoh but actually throughout the t- entire story of God and God's people and the question is this who will you serve or who will you worship or who do you work for? See, in the Hebrew language, here's the tricky thing. The word for worship is also the word for work. The word's evid or avod, depending on the situation. It's not just the words for worship and work, though. It's also the words for servant and serve and slave. One word, five powerful concepts. And actually, we see this complexity in Genesis 2 when Adam and Eve are given instructions for the garden to work it and keep it. That word work is also evident; It's the same word. And there's no divisions in the garden before the rebellion. So Adam and Eve can have beautiful conversations with God and God can walk with these humans. And their work was not a burden. It was more of a joyful responsibility. And they certainly worshiped in response to who God was in their situation at that time. So we see the words worship and work in Genesis 2 kind of combining together. And we also see that in the book of Joshua. If you know the story of Joshua, the people are being brought into the promised land. They finally made it. And Joshua, before they go in, he recounts all their history, their ups and the downs, the way they trusted God and maybe the way they haven't trusted God. And then he challenges the people in Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. He says, in the NIV. Now, fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors, that the gods your ancestors worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve whether it be the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites whose land you are now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Now, maybe you've heard that phrase before or not, but here's the same passage in the New English translation. Notice just how slightly different it is. It says, Now obey the Lord and worship him with integrity and loyalty. Put aside the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates and, and in Egypt and worship the Lord. If you have no desire to worship the Lord, then choose today whom you will worship, whether it be the gods from whom your ancestors worship, beyond the Euphrates, or the gods of the Amorites, whose in whose land you are now living. But as for me and my family, I will worship the Lord. See, for Joshua, there's no separation between our worship and our work, between who he serves and who or what he worships. Now, that might be hard for you, but if worship is ascribing value, if it's giving response, an appropriate response based on who God is or the value of God, then it makes sense because where we spend our time and where we spend our money is what we ascribe value to. In other words, it's what we worship. The two really aren't separated. Now, before you stop listening or pause the video or stop the video, I want you to consider that and consider what it was like to be a Hebrew in Egypt. See, yes, they were slaves, but they weren't always slaves during the famines People would willingly flock to Egypt. They would welcome this idea of slavery or indentured servitude because they were offered food and water and shelter and a steady source of work. And if you lived in the ancient world, that was life. I mean, heck, in the pandemic right now, in today's economy, food, water, shelter, a steady source of work, that's a pretty good option in life right now. But there's a catch if it's Egypt. And the catch is this, you can't stop and you can't worship God, at least not the Lord God. There were lots of gods in Egypt, but they didn't worship the Lord God and they could never stop. You know you are in a place like Egypt when you can't stop. You know it's Egypt when you try to stop and you're told to work harder. And I realize that there are some bosses out there who are workaholics and who expect you to be one too. But I also realize that many of you have internal voices that can be just as oppressive. Think back to what Juliet Fund called the culture of insatiability. No matter how hard you work or how much you do, you never think it's enough. Friends, that just isn't true because when it happens, you can't worship God. I can't worship God. And then we grow unaware and ignorant of who we serve and who we worship. And if we're going and going and going, then we know we're in an Egypt. And when we're in Egypt, just like the Hebrews, just like God's people, we have to be rescued. We can't do it on our own. We have to Just like the Hebrews, cry out to God and ask him for help. He wants to help us. Maybe right now, you need to pause this and you need to cry out to God because you know in your heart of hearts that you haven't stopped. You you can't stop. You believe that no matter how hard you go, it's never going to be enough. And right now, that's what you need to do. Cry out to him. Ask him for help. Now, after leaving their nonstop work, God actually made an agreement with those people, a divine promise. It was called a covenant, and it was signed by the finger of God, and we know it as the Ten Commandments. And in that agreement, two of the commandments or stipulations to that agreement, one was about worshiping God and God alone, and the other was worshiping God in this day of rest dedicated to stopping and worship. For people that don't know how to stop that might be the best place to start. Yes, worship no other gods than the Lord, but also honor the Lord by keeping the Sabbath holy. And the Sabbath is less about a 24-hour period of 24-hour period every 7 days and more about the rhythm of stopping and resting and worshipping and then starting again from a place of acceptance. And love and fullness and the spirit. See, a day of rest reminds me that I am not in control, even though I like to be. And I am not in charge of the universe. I'm not even in charge of my universe. A day of rest reminds me that I'm accepted by God for who I am and not what I do, but who he calls me. And I don't have to try to prove my worth or prove earn his love. I can just receive his protection and his promises and his care. Now, you could be thinking, "Uh, Rob, I know how to stop. This isn't a problem for me. I don't have the overcrowding, but my worship and my work are totally separated. I can't even imagine that they could be connected. Well, I would tell you that the Hebrew story can help us again. Because when you read the story of God's people, what happens is they took something that was meant to help them grow in their relationship with God, and it became something that the spiritual leaders used to regulate the people's relationship with God. And so what started as something that grew their relationship actually slowly stymied into a ritual, a ritual that didn't bring life. See, this is where we turn to the New Testament and we see Jesus healing people on the Sabbath. Now, technically, he wasn't doing work on the Sabbath because he was just asking God to heal them. It was God's power that was going out. He was simply responding and asking for the request and he did the request when the Heavenly Father told him and he stopped or he moved on when the Heavenly Father told him to do that. We see it super clear in John 5, verse 19, when he says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. See, whatever Jesus did and wherever Jesus went, he was in sync with God. He was asking God, what do you want for this person? What do you want me to do? His whole life, was worship. See, I think this is what the New Testament writers are getting at when they say in Hebrews 13 verses 15 and 16, therefore let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming allegiance to his name, and don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. And in Colossians 3, it says, Whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, worship is declaring allegiance to God with our words and actions that demonstrate the love and the glory of God. That's the essence of a living, authentic worship. Allegiance comes from this place deep within our heart and soul. And so from that overflow of our heart, the mouth speaks. That's what Jesus tells us. And so when we are declaring praise to him, that is an allegiance to God. That is worship. And we easily can see that in our singing and sometimes in our words. But verbal praise isn't the only kind of worship. See, when we do good, when we share with those in need, when we do acts of compassion or kindness or generosity, these are also worship. Worship happens in the believer's heart, soul, all the time, every day. When you're scattered, scattered in your homes, you can worship. Worship when you're gathered with your church. You can worship! When you're singing praise to God, you can worship. When you're in solitude by yourself, or when you're at work in a group, you can worship. When you are about to eat, you can worship. And when you're about to go to sleep, you can worship and when you're singing, you can worship and when you're sitting with someone who's broken, you can worship. When you play an instrument, you can worship and when you bring hope to someone who's hurting. You can worship! See, Everything we do, except sin, can be worship to God. Every single thing. Mark Labberton, in his book, The Dangerous Act of Worship, Living God's Call to Justice, says this. Worship turns out to be the dangerous act of waking up to God and God's purposes and then living lives that actually show that. Worship is this dangerous act of waking up to God and the purposes of God in the world and then living lives that actually show that. So I want you to think, because for many of us, it's easier to go to church than it is to be the church in the world, especially before COVID. But in this time, when we declare and demonstrate who Jesus is in the world, God is honored and pleased. It's worship. See, I think about my friends Amy and Garrett Zafke. When Amy invites students to live out their faith on campus or off campus, it's worship. But when Garrett, when he helps the county communicate programs and volunteer opportunities with excellence, it is no less worship. Everything we do can be worship. We give honor to Jesus in our work, even if we're not using his name. It can be worship. See, worshiping in your work doesn't mean forcing the name of Jesus into places he's not invited. But if we're truly worshiping God in our work, we can't help but bring his joy and his peace and his presence and his kindness and his goodness and his generosity and his truth and his love wherever we go. That is worship. Now, maybe you are in a physically intensive job that's actually relatively easy on your brain. You can worship. You can make copies and worship. You can dig a trench or do landscaping and worship. You can maybe have a more mentally excruciating task like teaching children, that's worship. Or crunching numbers, that's worship. Or doing business deals, that can be worship. You're bringing Jesus into that moment because he's already there anyway. You're just aligning yourself with him. And then you're asking God to be glorified in this moment because of who he is and because of what you want to make him in that moment. Maybe your work is in your home right now. If you have kids, they're watching. Whether it's working on a computer or changing diapers or making lunches or cleaning dishes, you can do that For the glory of God, and it will be worship. See, if you're separating it, you need Jesus. You and I need Jesus to make a way for us, not just to be restored with God, but to be filled with His Spirit, to like Jesus, go to Him in every moment and ask Him to be glorified in that moment. Ask Him for His will in that moment, wherever and whenever you are, because your whole life can be worship. One of my favorite movies uh, just shows this really well. It's called Chariots of Fire, and it's about the 1924 Olympics. And specifically, it's about two runners. One of them is named Eric Little, and he is a runner from Scotland. And the other one is Harold Abrams, and he's a runner from Great Britain. Now, they're both successful, fast runners. But actually, Eric Little is a devout Christian or was a devout Christian, who was also a missionary. And some thought he should give up running to be full-time in preaching or ministry work. And little believed he had a call by God to race, and to race for the glory of God. He studied the sport, he threw himself in it, and he made running this passion in his life. And the two runners, in the movie at least, you see this this contrast, because they both run and they both want to run with excellence, but they run for very different reasons. In one scene, Harold Abram says, and now in one hour's time, I will be out there again on the racetrack and I will raise my eyes and I will look down that corridor four feet wide with 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. But will I? His work had become his identity, had become his life. He was actually making an idol of it. And then we have Eric Little who says, I believe that God has made me for a purpose. And he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. See, Eric Little, he didn't have to run to justify his existence. That's a whole work inside of a work. That's a work of self-justification. That's a work of self-proclamation. Instead, Eric Little was able to run from this place of rest, from this place of acceptance, from this place of knowing who his God was and what brought his God glory. Friends, that is my prayer for each of us, that we would know whose we are And that we would know what brings him pleasure. And that we would actually find joy in bringing him that honor. A sacrifice of praise, you could call it. That's what the book of Hebrews calls it. What is your sacrifice of praise today? Is it your words? Maybe you can start by asking God to direct those words to be a blessing to others. Is it your stopping Maybe you've realized in the course of this talk that that you know that you go too hard, too much, too fast and you don't stop. Maybe you need to bring God your pause, your pause and then trust him to give him space to work in your mind and your heart and your soul to simply say thank you. Or is it your work, your service? your worship? Do you bring everything before God, asking him to be blessed through the work of your hands or the work of your heart or the work of your head? As the band comes up, I want you to just consider to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit, what is my sacrifice of praise today? God, that is our prayer. As the band comes up, as we just respond in worship to you. We want to respond first with our own stopping. We want to pause, and we want to say, God, I want to bring you a sacrifice of praise. God, I want to be more like Eric Little, who understands my identity and my purpose and my God, and and go from that place. God, I give you my words I pray that they would be a blessing that I would consider and ask your Holy Spirit to lead them when they leave my heart, not just when they lead my mouth. And we bring our stopping, God, because we know there's so many people in this place and in this time that even though they might be working from home, they still can't stop. They're listening to those lies maybe from their own soul or from the the enemy that says that my worth comes from how much I produce. God, we offer our stopping to you. And God, we offer our life to you, that that our work and our service can be a joyful, joyful offering, that, that everything we do can be connected to you not separated out for some stuff for God, some stuff for ourself, or some stuff for even sin. God, we, we bring all of ourself to you. We ask that you would accept
0: this sacrifice of praise in Jesus' name, amen.